0: Good morning. I'm Andrew Flatgard, and I am a pastor here at In Town Church. We want to start by acknowledging how different our lives are than one week ago and two weeks ago. Life feels uh, kind of crazy right now. We're making decisions about how to engage in work and recreation, how to try to be with people. And I think one of the questions we're asking is, how does the church— be the church when you're called to socially distance from people and not gathering groups how is the church to be the church well i'm convinced there's no better chapter of scripture than acts chapter 2 to look at to try to understand how should the church be the church the apostle luke writes this chapter and he's describing the launch of the church the explosion of it in jerusalem and he's saying to you and i the things that these Christians were doing at this time are exactly what we need to be doing worldwide all the time. So it's the perfect chapter for us to look at. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 24, the ESV version. And the scripture will be on slides, or you can get your Bible. We need a little bit of context before our scripture reading to understand what's happening. In Acts chapter 1... Christ has died, Christ has risen, and he's with the disciples, walking around with them. And several of them ask him this question. They look at him and say, hey, Jesus, is now the time when you will restore the nation to Israel? That was about as big as the scope uh, uh, that, they, that they had. They really wanted their nation to ascend and be free from Roman rule. Jesus, of course, had much more in mind. And so he looked at them and said, No, two things are going to happen right now. You will receive power as the Holy Spirit is poured out on you. And second, you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit is about to be poured out on you, and you will be my witnesses. After that, Jesus ascends to sit at the right hand of God the Father. And shortly after that, the apostles are sitting in the room, a locked room, and the rushing wind enters in the Holy Spirit, is poured out on them. And they begin to go outside in Jerusalem and to speak in different tongues. They speak in at least 13 different languages, all about Jesus. What Jesus said would happen to them, happened to them. The Spirit was poured out on them, and they went out and became witnesses. Now, you can imagine how people responded there in Jerusalem in large crowds. Here are these disciples, they seem to be normal guys from Galilee, and now they're speaking in languages uh, that not many people know. And some people looked around and said, those guys must be drunk with wine, because I don't understand what they are saying. They seem crazy. And Peter's saying, no, it feels like a crazy time right now, and you don't understand what's happening, but what's happening is exactly God's plan, a plan based on his foreknowledge. So, Peter, with the Holy Spirit poured out on him, is also called to be a witness. And he stands in front of these, this group of thousands of people and begins to preach. And that is our text this morning. Peter preaching this sermon in front of thousands of people. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 24. Rebecca, will you read for us?
1: From Acts chapter 2. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. "'Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, "'let this be known to you and give ear to my words. "'For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, "'since it is only the third hour of the day. "'But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. "'And in the last days it shall be, God declares, "'that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, "'and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, "'and your young men shall see visions.'" You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God.
0: Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, uh, this morning many of us feel anxious, distracted, and even fearful. Would you meet us where we are, Lord? Holy Spirit, would you comfort us with the comfort that you gave Jesus when he walked the earth? And would you help us to see Jesus in this scripture? We pray all of these things to the glory of him. Amen. Are you tired of looking at screens? I am tired of looking at screens. I'm looking at my phone, my wife's phone, several laptop computers, a desktop computer, televisions, monitors. I'm tired of looking at screens. Did you you know that there is a town in America where people almost never look at screens. Even before the coronavirus hit, they almost never looked at screens. If you drive there, as you drive into this town, you will find that your cell phone no longer works. You you will see payphones that dot the landscape, with most people having landlines. People who have iPhones there say that they use them mostly as calculators and as clocks. This is Green Bank, West Virginia, not far from Atlanta, north of Atlanta. And if you visit there, you'll see that people don't sit and stare at their phones most of the day because there's no signal for their phones to pick up. People use paper maps and atlases to get around. Why have they chosen to do this? Well, those that have chosen to live there live this way because the world's largest steerable telescope is there in town in green bank and this telescope is so powerful it can pick up so many frequencies from the low end to the high end of the spectrum that if you were standing on saturn which is a billion miles away with your cell phone in airplane mode this telescope could pick you up and know that you are there but the strange thing about this uber powerful telescope is that Any sort of radiation or frequency that's local to the telescope completely throws off and disturbs it. Even an electric toothbrush that would malfunction would disturb the power of that telescope. But it's a very unusual town to live in. A high school senior named Charity was interviewed and asked, what is it like to live in this town? And she said, well, instead of checking social media for several hours when school gets out, I put on my running shoes and I go running outside. When it's dinner time, I help my mom cook in the kitchen and I'm not checking TikTok. When asked what teenagers do instead of social media, Charity said, well, we talk together because there's not a lot else to do in this town. In Green Bank, People don't rely on screens much for connection because they can't. Most of them don't work. And most people who live and stay there like it there. They like the face-to-face, in-the-flesh connection that they have. In our situation right now, we rely very much on screens. We use the Internet, and that is a good thing, in particular how technology, helps connect us with people that we know and love. It is a very good thing as we video conference and watch TV and movies and text and more. But we feel deeply in our soul what the people of Green Bank know so well, that you and I were made for connection with other people. We were made to be with people, to see them face to face, to see them in the flesh, and to be with them. And we miss that. And part of grieving is admitting that we miss that and that we need that. As we look for guidance on what the church should be, and more individually, what in the world do I do now? There's no better chapter in all of Scripture than Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the launch of the church to help us understand what it means to connect And how we can do that creatively now. And this sermon is, Peter's sermon, is the foundation of the church's connection. As it describes how we are united together in Christ. I want us to see three things this morning from Peter's sermon. First, the death of Jesus. Second, the resurrection of Jesus. And then third, what do we do now? So first, the death of Jesus. Second, the resurrection of Jesus. And third, what do we do now? So first, the death of Jesus. As Peter begins his sermon, he wants to prep his listeners for what is going on here. He's a good pastor. He's thinking about what people are seeing and feeling and experiencing in the moment, and the people he's talking to are experiencing what seems to them to be crazy. And so Peter starts his sermon saying, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, give ear to my words. This is an understated way of saying, if you've ever listened to anything in your whole life, listen to this. This is the story, the defining story of all of human history that you need to be united to. And he knows that some people have looked around and said, those apostles must be drunk because they seem to be saying gobbledygook, and I don't understand it. But he says to them, look, it's only the third hour of the day. In effect, 9 a.m. in the morning, these people are not drunk. They're doing something that was foretold long ago. Peter then immediately begins to quote the prophet Joel from Joel chapter 2. Hundreds of years ago, Joel wrote about what would happen in that day, and Peter is trying to help his people understand what's happening. So Peter says a few things from Joel's prophecy. Peter says that God said through through Joel, it shall be that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And Peter is saying to people, that's what you're experiencing right now. Joel's prophecy was that sons and daughters, the young and the old, male servants, female servants, will have the spirit poured out on them, and they will prophesy. Now what does that mean? Well, prophesy is a fancy word. It simply means this. Men and women, young and old, male and female servants, will come to know God personally, and they will talk about him. They will prophesy. They will talk about Jesus in very personal ways to other people because they know him. The Spirit has been poured out on them, and they will go out and be witnesses and testify. This is exactly what Jesus said to the disciples in Acts chapter 1. When they wanted their nation Israel to ascend, Jesus said, look, the Spirit will be poured out on you. You will be my witnesses. In other words, you will go and talk to people and live out this gospel. That's what's going on. Joel continues with his prophecy and says that in that day, the sun shall be turned to darkness. The sun shall be turned to darkness. Well, Peter's listeners had just experienced that Because about six weeks prior to Peter's sermon, Jesus was crucified on the cross. And the gospel writers write that while Jesus was on the cross, from 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the sun was turned to darkness. It was dark. This is Joel's prophecy that has come about in that moment. And it was, as Joel says, the day of the Lord. Christ on the cross was the day of the Lord. For the Spirit to be poured out on these people, Jesus had to receive the punishment that everyone deserves for our sin and rebellion against a holy God. God the Father willingly crushed his Son. God the Father poured out on Jesus contempt and punishment that we deserve, that the Spirit of God might be poured out on us. And Peter then very specifically guides his people as to how to respond to this. Because no doubt his listeners were thinking, If this is true, I must respond somehow. Peter is a good pastor. He gives them really specific things to do and how to respond. He simply says this, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, who is the Lord? God. And Peter immediately tells them who the Lord is as well. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth from Galilee is the Lord. Peter goes on to say, You know this, don't you? Because he did mighty works and wonders and signs, and you saw it happen. You saw blind men see. You saw women who were deaf be able to hear for the first time. And when Jesus was preaching in a small house, some of them were there, When the roof was collapsed and the paralyzed man was lowered, and the Lord Jesus forgave his sins, which was his greater need, and then healed him and gave him strength to stand up, and the paralyzed man walked away. Peter is saying, Look, you yourselves, in a very emphatic way, Peter is saying, You yourselves, you were there. You saw this. You know this is the case. And this was all part of God's plan. It was his plan according to the foreknowledge of God. Peter then makes it more personal when he says, you know, you crucified and killed him. Now some in the crowd may have actually participated in the crucifixion of Jesus just a few weeks before, either urging that on or playing some sort of role directly in that. But he means more than that. It is your sin that crucified him on the cross. The prophet Isaiah writes about this when he says that God the Father laid upon Jesus the iniquity, the sins of us all, the contempt, the guilt that we deserve for our rebellion completely laid on the Lord in his death. And so how do we respond? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And later in Acts 2, Luke records uh, that thousands of people came to Jesus Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Peter later preaches. So Peter is saying to his crowd here, what you are experiencing, the craziness of what you are experiencing today, Joel prophesied it, and it's happening now. God the Father willingly breaks his son on the cross so that we might be healed. It's through his brokenness that we are healed. The last week I've been reading a lot online, and I read an article by David Brooks of the New York Times in which he made this observation. He said, have you noticed that music and art, to some degree, are already filling the emotional gaps left by the absence of direct human contact? wonder if that's been the case for you over the last week, that some favorite movie, some TV show, uh, a book, piece of art, something that you've turned to that has helped your heart in some way because you miss being with people. Well, over the last week, I uh, found this little bowl I want to show you. It's called a Kintsugi Bowl. And if you're not familiar with that, there's a little backstory about this beautiful bowl, speaking of art ministering to our hearts. The art of kintsugi is about 500 years old, and it dates back to a Japanese leader named Ashikaga Yoshimasa. Evidently, in Japan, a tea bowl, of which this, that's what this is, a tea bowl. A tea bowl is a very important thing in Japan. And so 500 years ago, this leader had a broken tea bowl, and he sent it to China uh, to be mended, to be put back together. The bowl came back to him in Japan with these ugly staples holding it together. And so Ashikaga commissioned local artists to try to fix this, and they decided to re-break the bowl, take the staples out, and fix it. Now, as you look at the bowl, I wonder what your eyes are drawn to. Maybe not so much the hand. The hand is there for scale. Maybe not so much the black part of it. I imagine your eyes are immediately drawn toward the golden lines. It looks like rivers on a map, doesn't it? Sort of like where the Missouri River meets the Mississippi River. And if you, if you saw this not knowing the background of this bowl, you might think that an artist took a brush with some gold paint and just began to paint that on that as an accent. But that is not the case. This bowl was broken. And so 500 years ago, with the first tea bowl, when those Japanese artists began to put back together the bowl, they wanted to make it beautiful, and they wanted it to work and to have its form and function back. So they took golden tree sap lacquer and added in some powdered gold as well to begin to mend the bowl. And part of this philosophy here, too, is not to hide the lines, not to hide the brokenness, but in fact, to highlight that. We call it kintsugi. The word kin is gold in Japanese, and the word sugi is to mend. And so kintsugi is gold mend. But for a bowl to have this kind of beauty, it has to be broken first. The beauty comes only after the brokenness. This beautiful Kintsugi bowl is a picture of Christ's body and his death for you and I. For our salvation, he had to be broken. And that's exactly what Peter is describing here. He had to die. He was broken, and while he was in the tomb, he was mended by the Father to become something so beautiful. Some people had a hard time believing that that was the case When Jesus appeared with his new body, his Kinsugi body that had been healed by God the Father, uh, there was Thomas who did not initially see Jesus, but had simply heard about this, and he doubted, so we call him Doubting Thomas even now. Jesus ultimately appeared to him about a week after he was resurrected, and Jesus very carefully and tenderly went up to Thomas and said, Here, take your hand place it on my wound. Take your hand, place it on my side. And how did Thomas then respond? He said, my Lord, my Savior. Christ, in effect, said, look, I've been broken, I've been mended for you. My body is a kintsugi body. If you've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that you are in spiritual union with him. His life is your life. His death is is your death. And when he died on the cross, he buried your sins. All of them. The prophet Isaiah writes that by his stripes you are healed. By his brokenness you are healed. So Christ's body for you and I is a consuigible. bowl. It is a body of salvation that has been broken but mended. And the Lord has mended you by offering you forgiveness and giving you new spiritual life. How then can we respond to the death of Jesus exactly the same way that the Apostle Peter instructed the crowds there, call on the name of Jesus. You may not know the words to say. There are no right words to say. Call on his name. Repent and be be baptized and the Holy Spirit will be poured out on you and you will be his witnesses. You will live out the gospel. Call on the name of Jesus. Repent and be baptized. Well, if you know and love Jesus, it's important to know that you are a Christian in part because of this sermon. This is the sermon that launched the church. This is the sermon by which thousands of people came to Christ. The Holy Spirit was poured out on them, and they began to go and tell and be witnesses. And through faithful men and women, boys and girls, through the centuries, we've come to know and love Jesus now. They've been sent as witnesses across the globe, and we benefit It's not just the death of Jesus that sent these people out. It is the resurrection of Jesus, too. Second, I want to focus on the resurrection of Jesus. After Peter explains the death of Jesus in most of our Scripture today, in the final verse, he highlights the resurrection. Peter writes, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Why was Jesus resurrected? Why was his resurrection, in fact, so important too? Well, Peter writes in a very understated way in which he says God raised Jesus up because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God raised up Jesus because it simply wasn't possible. God is a God of life and love and death is temporary. It was not possible for death to have the final word in the life of Jesus. Jesus was also raised from the dead for your sake and for, for mine as well. I mentioned that Jesus is our life. He is, his death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. He is, the scripture says, the firstborn from the dead. He is the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, which is a way of saying he's he is he's the first one to be raised from the dead for those who have died. Jesus is our hope for this life. He is our hope for the next life. And we are united to him in his resurrection. And the scripture says there is a harvest of resurrections to come even soon. He also had to be resurrected so that the Holy Spirit could come and be poured out on us. When Jesus walked the earth, the disciples asked him questions about the Holy Spirit. And at one point, he turned to them and said, look, I'm telling you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus had to be resurrected from the grave so that he could go and ascend to God the Father, so that the Holy Spirit would be sent, that people would come to know Jesus and be his witnesses the resurrection then had to happen the holy spirit was poured out on peter's listeners and the holy spirit has been poured out on you and on me if you've come to christ earlier steve read several verses from titus 3 that say exactly this it says the goodness and loving kindness of our of god our savior appeared in jesus and that we're saved by the holy spirit whom god poured out on us richly through jesus christ our savior The Spirit has been poured out on us, too. We don't go around necessarily speaking in tongues. That was a unique time in history there when the church launched. But the same Spirit poured out on the disciples, the apostles, the same Spirit poured out on that crowd, is the same Spirit poured out on you and I. We've been given a new heart, a new life, and a new direction. God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel, thousands of years ago, to describe that day. God said, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. So Jesus says to his disciples, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on you, and you will be my witnesses. Peter says to his listeners, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on you, and you will be my witnesses. Jesus says to you and I now, look, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on you. God has poured his consugi gold into your broken places that need healing, and now you are my witnesses. Go and tell. Now you are my witnesses. So I spoke of the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, and third and finally I want us to look at what do we do now? The Holy Spirit has been poured out on you and I, and we are to be his witnesses. What does that look like when there is a pandemic? Well, when the Apostle Peter preached his sermon, he preached thousands of people. We're not supposed to get together in groups of thousands of people, or even hundreds of people, or even a dozen people right now. Let's be clear. Loving people means not getting together with other people in person right now. We must work together to flatten the curve. One way to love healthcare workers, one way to love the elderly and those with compromised immune systems is not to gather in groups, in fact, to try to cut off the growth of this. But how then do you engage in this sort of telling of other people about Jesus? Being a witness, living out the gospel, how do you do that when we're called the socially distance from people? You may know at InTown now, we've, we've actually started a new series on evangelism. That's no accident. The Lord has us in Acts chapter 2 right now and this month for, for good reason to learn how to be the church. But the question has to be answered, asked and answered. How do you talk about evangelism when you're supposed to be distant from people? Well, let me start by saying I, I want you to reflect a little bit about your own heart. And I want you to understand and come to believe that God is very much at work in your life right now. Have you been surprised over the last week how deep your emotions run, how strong they are? Maybe you've gone out some to grocery shop and you you feel a bit of fear. Maybe you turn on the news, you feel fear and anxiety, you don't know what's going to happen. You felt extremes of emotions, and you felt sadness, too, at what you've lost and what you are losing. Well, those emotions are good things. God has emotions. He gives us the ability to have these emotions, and our emotions help us to interpret and to digest what's going on. Don't rush through the sadness and rush through those emotions, but understand that God is at work and that he's doing something right now. Right now is a special opportunity to grow in faith and to care for other people. God is a God of life and love. He is making you more like Jesus. He is at work through your life, even through the very deep emotions that you feel. So then how do we do this? How do we be witnesses? Acknowledging the fervency of this moment and all that we feel so deeply, how do we do this? I'll suggest three things. For how to be witnesses. First, pray for people. Second, share your life with people. And third, go outside. Pray for people, share your life with people, and go outside. So, first, pray for people. We get this from the life of Jesus. He often prayed for people, he would get up early in the morning and pray for people, he would stand before Jerusalem and pray. For them, So we follow the Lord's example here, to pray for people. And how do we do that? Well, first, we, we need to acknowledge that prayer is a good thing, that prayer is something that we need to do. One of the reasons that therapy and counseling is so powerful is that it helps us get out what's in our heart and the fears that we have and some of the dark places that we don't talk about. It shines a light on those places and helps us understand that we're not alone and that God is at work. Prayer helps in that sort of way. To speak, even to speak out loud, to pray out loud, gets out what's going on in our lives. When when I say pray for people, I want to start by saying pray for yourself. Pray for yourself and be honest with the Lord. The Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament, don't be anxious about anything. But through prayer, offer up your requests to God. What he's saying is that what will help with your anxiety is to pray and to voice those requests to God and then watch him be at work. One way we address that anxiety is to pray and to pray honest prayers, too. The Lord wants to hear what you honestly feel. It's okay to pray to God and to say to him, Lord, to be honest. I find myself caring about Netflix more than my neighbors. More than my neighbors, I care more about right now what I'm watching because I'm scared. Will you invert that, Lord? Will you change that? Because I can't change that heart of mine on my own. I need you to do that. Would you help me, Lord, to care more about my neighbors than what I'm watching on Netflix? And Lord, would you give me your patience and love? Maybe over this last week, you have found that it is hard To be home, or hard to be in the same place all day long to shelter in place. And you find that there are limits on your patience and limits on your love because you're a finite creature. Listen, those limits are actually a good thing because when you reach the end of your rope, that's when God really gets to work, right? That's when you really begin to feel, wow, I really need Him. And the scripture calls you and I to ask God for patience, to ask God for love, and He will give it. And of course, then in in praying for ourselves, we want to pray for other people that they would come to know and love Jesus. Lord, would you meet their needs? So, first, I want to say, pray for people. Second, I want to say, share your life with people. Share your life with people. I am convinced this is the only way forward. As we feel the tendency to pull back in and withdraw and maybe hoard, and try to protect ourselves most of all, the way forward, the only path to joy, is to share your life with people in the particular way that you are able to do that. The Apostle Paul, actually, in the New Testament, gives a reason as to why it is so important to share your faith, to share your life with people right now. When he wrote the letter of Philemon, he was so to speak, sheltering in place. He was in prison. He couldn't go anywhere. And so he wrote this letter to Philemon, and he says a most interesting thing. He says, I am praying for you that you would share your faith so that you would understand all that you have in Jesus. Paul doesn't say, look, I hope you'll share your faith so that hundreds of people will come to know the Lord. No, I hope you will share your faith Because that's the way you are going to understand all that you have in Jesus. That's how your joy will increase. We want to share our lives with other people for their benefit, but understand that's the only path forward now toward joy. And you and I can do that because God has poured his gold into your broken places, hasn't he? And because of that, you can pour gold into the broken places of others. The way you do that is to share your life, not to hide but to open your heart. And the way you do that is, of course, through video conferencing. You're doing that, right? Through phone calls, texts, social media, reaching out, writing a letter, in fact. But even in the midst of all that, we grow weary with screens because we're made for a face-to-face connection. When I say share your life with people, I mean first, share your life with the people you're living with, with an open heart. Lord, would you help me to share my heart and life with those that I live with first and those that are near to me. Share your life with your neighbors. Talk to them when you can. At At a proper area of social distance, of course. Are you finding that your neighbors are eager to talk? I've never had so many conversations with neighbors. Some of the neighbors, I don't know their names, but I'm talking to them as if I know them. And I'm having conversations that are just winding down different trails to different subjects, to different topics. This is happening a lot now. And I would just say, Lord, a good prayer to offer in regard to these conversations is to ask the Lord for opportunities to speak of His love. Ask the Lord to give you opportunities to speak of His love. You know, one of the questions that you are probably getting a lot maybe more than any other question these days, and a question you're asking other people is, how are you dealing with all of this? How are you right now? And what are you doing? And you're probably answering with a question like, well, we're trying to set up a routine. We're trying to have a schedule. and We're doing this, this, and this. That's a golden opportunity, an open door to say, you know, we're churchgoers. As you know, we love to go to church. We can't go there, so we're streaming that on Sunday morning. We're singing the hymns. And we're hearing about Jesus and his love. That's an easy opportunity to speak about Jesus. That's an open-door question when someone says, how are you doing? How are you dealing with this? In the midst of sharing everything else, just share, hey, it's hard because I'm not with other Christians. I'm not in worship, but I'm streaming it right now. And part of that, too, part of being a witness is not only speaking about Jesus, looking for opportunities to mention his name, but also to care for people, to ask the question, how can I help you? And to be specific, too. You know, it's one thing to say to somebody, maybe someone who's older, maybe someone you know who needs help. It's one thing to say, hey, how can I help you? But that's a very general, broad-based question that really puts the pressure on them to figure out some way in which they need help. And then also to figure out some way in which they think that you can address that need. That's putting a lot of work on their shoulders. Maybe spend a little time to be more specific. Instead of saying, how can I help you? And this is part of witnessing the gospel of the Lord. Instead of saying, how can I help you? Maybe be more more specific. If the person you're talking to you know has anxiety about going to the grocery store, maybe say to that person, hey, the next time I go to the grocery store, I'm going to text you, and I'm going to ask you what you need, and I want you to respond because I want to bring that to you. Reach out to them in that way. How can I help you? Think about what that person needs. Try to meet that need. You can do that. I can do that. And then finally, go outside. Go outside. Now, not everybody can go outside. Some people can only open a window right now. We want to be sensitive to that and and pray for them. But understand that going outside is the will of God for you right now. The psalmist David writes about the beauty of creation when he says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims, his handiwork, and everyone sees this speech. Everyone hears this speech. There is life-giving beauty outside. Go outside when you can. What happens when you go outside? Your posture changes, you breathe more deeply, you breathe in fresh air, and on most days the sunlight hits you. And right now is a great time to do that. Spring has sprung. Azaleas are in bloom. Japanese magnolias and cherry blossom trees are in bloom. Go outside. Look at these beautiful plants and trees and enjoy the color green. And look up. Look up at the clouds as they form into animal shapes. My daughters love to point out how the clouds will form into shapes of alligators, bears, lions, and tigers. And to the degree degree that you're not hurried, that you're in an unhurried state, look outside. Go outside. Smell these things and take them in. One of my favorite mentors in life says that beauty heals the wounds of brokenness. Beauty heals the wounds of brokenness. God is using the beauty of his creation to mend your heart and soul right now. And it's the beauty of his creation that is the golden lacquer to mend your heart, to minister to you in your broken places that hurt. And you are carrying a lot right now. Let the beauty of God's creation minister to your heart. It is his gift to you. And going outside actually helps you do the first two things I mentioned. Pray for people and share your life with people. If you're able to walk around your neighborhood, your apartment complex, as you walk by uh, the places where people live, pray for them. Pray for them as you meet them. Pray for them as they walk by and love them in that way. That is evangelism. Understand, praying for people is evangelism. It's not just when you mention the name of Jesus to them or love them in other ways. Praying for them is evangelism. And as you pray for and look for opportunities to share your life with people, understand that God has placed you in your specific place, in your home, your apartment, your condo, because he wants you there. He wants you with those people. He wants you to speak and and reach out to the neighbors to the degree that you can. It's no accident, and his purposes will not be frustrated by a virus. As you are with those whom you love, those whom you live with, and as you interact with other people, either online or in person, be reminded that you have no need to hide any of your broken places. I mentioned that Kintsugi art that doesn't hide those broken places In that beautiful t-bowl I showed earlier, the artist could have used black paint, right, to hide those broken places, but instead he used a beautiful, bright, golden tree sap and lacquer to highlight those places, right? There is no need for you to hide the fact that you have very deep feelings that hurt right now, that you feel broken and sad and afraid. So do your neighbors. They feel those things too, and as you share openly about all that's going on in your life people will see your broken places and they will see the golden lacquer that God has poured into those broken places and many will ultimately come to know and love Jesus so join me pray for people share your life with people and go outside Christ's body is a consugi body for you God the father mended his body. And God has poured gold into your brokenness. God is mending your heart and life now. Because the Spirit has been poured out on you and I, you and I then can pour gold into others' brokenness. This is the path to joy. Will you please pray with me? Our Father in heaven, on this day, the Lord's day, would you remind us of the death of Jesus, his broken body, the gold that you poured into his broken places where you healed him. And you were, would you remind us, Lord, of all the golden tree sap lacquer you've already poured into our lives, the healing you've brought through forgiveness and new spiritual life. And then completely by your power, would you help us, Lord, to love people. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.